welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I'm sexual communication coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. In today's episode, we'll meet Shasta, a 45-year-old cisgender woman who describes herself as Canadian First Nation Cree, heterosexual, monogamous, and married to her husband, who she's been with for 20 plus years. Shasta is an income and intimacy mentor to other women, but today she dives into the moments of her own life when she didn't have it all figured out. The lessons she learned in childhood about never letting a man, quote, fuck her, and what it looks like when your marriage bed has grown stale, and how her husband pushed her to try new things. You can find Shasta online at www.shastatownsend.com. I'm so pleased to introduce Shasta. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's such a pleasure to have the opportunity to talk with you. Well, I am thrilled to be here. I love your show. I love what you are sharing with the world. And, you know, it's an honor to contribute to that in any small way. So thank you, Leah. Well, thank you. And I am, I have to say, excited because um, I'm always interested to hear from people who have different backgrounds than I do. And um, the one of the few things that I know about you, because we have not met, is that you are from a First Nation background, that you call yourself Indigenous. And I'm really interested to hear about what you learned in your growing up time, how sex was talked about, how sex was interacted with in that culture. I grew up in... Um in Saskatchewan in Canada, which is a, a very mixed culture. So you have a lot of whites and then you have a lot of, you know, First Nations people. And there was a lot of tension actually uh, between that culture. So I grew up, to answer your question, in a home where First Nations culture was not identified. It was something to be ashamed of. It was something to really um, shut down. And that was actually generally the tone around sexuality in my upbringing period is it was something you don't talk about. Mm. Um, it was really uh, almost like a shameful thing in the sense of the, the only message that I got from my mother uh, about sex was, you know, you are a good girl. I trust you. Um, you're smart, you'll figure this out yourself. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're wow. one, you are leaving your daughter with a message that um, 
there's shame around sexuality, like whatever being a good girl actually meant. And then it's also a kind of like, it's on your shoulders to figure this shit out because I don't know what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> That's kind of my mother's, um, you know, approach to this. And, and fair enough. She really didn't know what she was doing. You know, um, I grew up in a very uh, violent home, a very abusive home. My stepfather was a crazy alcoholic and very, very um, like an anger addict. And so I grew up in physical and emotional abuse, which meant, I'll tell you, you know, and I, I'm sure I, I'm, I really believe that almost every woman I know has experienced some sort of trauma and abuse. But what that meant for me is later in my life, I had a massive mistrust of men. Mm. And so in my sexual experience, what happened was I decided I am never going to end up like my mother or my aunts. I'm never going to be a woman who is subservient to a man or wall-to-wall carpeting. So I actually went the other way. I was like, I'm going to use men for my own purposes. Mm. Um, No one is ever going to fuck me. You know, I will be the one who fucks you know, fuck them and leave them kind of thing. So let's go back to the beginning. Um, What is your first memory of sexual pleasure? Gosh, I don't think I have ever verbally shared this, but I'm going to share it now. Here we go. So I remember being really young, like I think maybe three or four and actually masturbating, like, Mm -hmm. and actually having an orgasm at that age. And not knowing, obviously, what the heck I was doing, but feeling turned on and feeling, and I'm sure that there's a lot of scientists that would argue, no, your sexuality doesn't develop till later. But I remember being extremely young and touching myself, bringing myself to orgasm. That's probably the earliest memory that I have of sex. And I don't know that I was aware that I, what I was doing, but at the same time, I was also aware that this wasn't something to tell somebody about mm-hmm. as a little girl, that it was something that I did, you know, alone in my room um, when no one was, you know, paying attention to me kind of thing. Sure. And did, did you continue to masturbate throughout your young life? Or did at some point you stop and then pick it up again later? I think that I continued to masturbate pretty much the entire time I became, you know, sexually active with like with a man or with a boy at 16. And I, I've always actually enjoyed sex. And I think I was actually pretty clear on what I liked, maybe because I had been masturbating for yeah. years. Um, but, and then, you know, I, I actually, it's really interesting because when I started to actually have more regular sex and satisfying sex, I think that I actually stopped masturbating. I ha- I, and it, it was actually years that... I didn't do that. And it actually has only been like probably this year that in maybe like the last 10 or 20 years that it was even something that entered my mind. What do you think was the change? What made it come back up for you? You know, I'll be married for 15 years and we've certainly had our ups and downs, but we've always had a really sensational sex life. And then there were moments where we didn't have such a sensational sex life. And one of those moments was actually, you know, like sort of the end of last year where things had kind of just gotten stale in our relationship. 
And my husband was asking me to try new things and to, um, you know, try new positions, say personas. And I was so triggered. I mean, it triggered the shit out of me. I was like, what's wrong with our sex life? We've been having sex for 20 years. I orgasm every time. It's sensational. And he wasn't saying it's not good. He was saying, I want to explore new horizons. I want to go to the ed- new edges with you. And I completely shut down around that. My husband actually said to me, I was away. I was in um, another country at the time. So we were separated. And he said, will you touch yourself tonight and think about me? Hmm. And I was like, and I know in the realm of sexuality, this is not like super full of kink or anything. But it for me, I was like, oh, God, can I do that? And I did. It's not like he, he wanted to wash or anything like that. It was just like, consider what you want and how that would feel for you. And it was interesting because it really did take me back to being a young woman, you know, even a little girl and saying, I, I do know what I want and I can trust myself and I can also trust this man. You said that um, he gave you this invitation and that it wouldn't necessarily be considered kinky, But in fact, I think for a lot of people, the very act of talking about sex is kind of kinky. Like that is, is so taboo that it feels really revolutionary to even have the conversation and say, let's try something new. Would you consider this? I think that actually does, I mean, if you're talking to someone who's into the world of BDSM, no, of course, that they wouldn't consider that kinky. But if you're talking to somebody who has lived a fairly vanilla, sort of, quote unquote, standard sex life, that is really pushing some boundaries. Absolutely. I thought like, oh, we have a very um, open communication in our relationship. And what was really interesting is... I realized as we had this sort of breakdown in our our relationship that I actually wasn't hearing him. So there was a part of my brain that was actually filtering out what he was saying because there's those old stories of shame. You need to be a good girl. Um, Don't let a man fuck with you. You know, who is he to ask you to do something? And it caused me anyways to say, what is this shit that's coming up for me? Like I am completely in love, committed, enamored with this person. I feel like I'm a confident, you know, a live woman and I'm getting super triggered by these kind of requests, which, which everything you're saying is true. You know, I think in sort of like middle-class culture, it's like lot, lot, lots of people don't even talk about sex, but we did. And yet there was something where it was like, oh gosh, you know, it was, it totally triggered my, good girl story. Hmm. I can be a good girl or I can actually just choose who I want to be regardless of what the sexual expression is and to actually discover like what is, what is a yet another sexual expression that's meaningful for me now at this point in my life. So, you know, I'm, (laughs) it was painful at the time, but I'm very grateful. Um, And I, you know, I think I'll continue to do that. Like it's, it's for me, 
I think sexuality, even though, as I said, I've always loved sex and I saw myself as a very sexual person, it's like, oh, wow, there's my shit again. You know, so it's like, what's the new horizon? What's the new mm-hmm. um, transparency, vulnerability, surrender? You know, here I am on a an amazing, highly listened to podcast telling people, yeah, I actually masturbate at 45 and I actually like it. And, you know, like, like the, you know, 40 year old me or 35 year old me would have been like, oh, fuck, no, I'm not doing that. You know, (laughs) it's all good. So when you heard those messages as a young girl um, saying, uh, be a good girl, what did that mean to you? What were the markers Mm. of a quote unquote, good girl? It's such a great question. So one of them was, my mother was very attractive, physically attractive. So she was very beautiful. And so one of the markers of a good girl is that you needed to be pretty, that you needed to be extremely physically attractive to men. Mm. And that it was an interesting message because there's a bit of a paradox in this message. You needed to be physically attractive to men in order to have a man take care of you And at the same time, you needed to be available to men, but you didn't want to be, uh, what's the word? Like you couldn't come across as quote unquote available. So it was sort of a, a, you know, a double binding message of be attractive, Mm -hmm. but don't, don't be too assertive or sexual in that. Make yourself available to men, make sure that men see you as attractive. And what was part of that was also that, um, and again, I got double binding messages because it was like, you're, you're very bright. I was a very good student. I was very um, outspoken and assertive. Um, But the message was, men don't like that. Like you're smart, but don't be too smart, Mm -hmm. you know? And so what, what I did in those messages was, you know, I, I was like have being a two headed monster because I'd have this voice in my head that was like, fuck you all. You don't get to decide, you know, what I'm going to look like or what I'm going to say or, whether I'm smart or not smart, and I'm not making myself so available to men. And yet at the same time, longing for that, wanting to be seen as attractive, um, wanting obviously to belong, wanting to be loved, wanting to be approved of. And so it was like these, you know, these messages that were in complete opposition and continued actually in my head for a really, really long time. But it's interesting because I think I didn't get a lot of, you know, I know I have spoken to a lot of women, you know, and even men over the years where it was like, the message was, don't be a sexual person, don't be a slut or whatever, you know, don't be over overtly sexual. And the message that I got was more like, make sure that you're available to men, but don't let a man use you too much. And you're really smart and be smart, but don't let too many people know how smart you are. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, who, who, who do I get to be in, in any of that? And then there really was a message, you know, as I said, like my mother said, you know, you'll figure it out. You're a smart girl. So there really was a message of like almost self-responsibility, which I think can be helpful in situations. But it was what I got out of that as a young, younger woman was 
one, I don't want to let my mother down because she does think that I have a level of intelligence. And she had me very young. She had me at 15, which means she started having sex at least by, you know, at 14. So she was very um, sexually active at a very young age, uh, you know, by Canadian standards. And I think that she always wanted me to be quote unquote successful, um, but really had her own stories about, you know, men and her looks is, is what really allowed her to move through life in her, in her story at the time Mm -hmm. anyways. So there was this interesting story of, you know, always, as I said, ensure you're attractive, but don't be too attractive and be available to men, but not too available to men. um, But other than that, you know, figure this shit out on your own. So you mentioned that the one of the things you took away from that was this idea that I'm not going to let men fuck with me, I'm going to fuck with them instead. Um, How did that play out for you in your early flirtations, romances, sexual relationships? Well, what it would mean is any time that I had a sexual relationship is that I really would be in a position of like dominance for lack of a better word. And I don't mean that in like the BDSM term. I mean, in the sense of ensuring that I was the one that was pursued, ensuring that I was the one who was quote unquote leading, you know, leading what was happening in the relationship or the bedroom, um, ensuring that my pleasure, orgasm, satisfaction always happened and happened first and not allowing a level of, I think, true emotional connection or intimacy with, with men and really becoming, frankly, very adept sexually, really learning skills so that it was almost like you want to leave a man wanting more from you. I used those things as a wall and as a defense mechanism. You know, as women, we have been hurt. We've been abused for hundreds, thousands of years. So, of course, many of us naturally go to the place of defensiveness and building walls. But, you know, we're really wired for connection. We're wired for pleasure. And we need to be discerning about who we let into our bedrooms and our hearts, but there's also like, there's, there are opportunities for great transformation and great love and great pleasure in this life by allowing those walls to, you know, quote unquote, be breached, so to speak. Yeah, I had an interesting conversation just actually two or three nights ago with my partner, because I recognize that I am often the one having come out of a background where sex was not about pleasure for me and was not something that I enjoyed. Now that I'm in a relationship where I do enjoy it, I tend to be the assertive one in the relationship. I tend to be the one who asks for it, you know, who makes the first move. And I've mentioned this to him a couple of times, you know, it's okay with me (laughs) if you do. But the truth is, I don't really give him space to do that. And the flip side of that is that he was saying to me that, you know, he has seen 
uh, so many women that he cares about having been so profoundly hurt by men taking advantage or being sexually aggressive in a way that they didn't welcome, that he has, you know, it's sort of the flip side of the Me Too movement, that he has begun to fear making that first move, because he doesn't ever want someone to feel like they have to be afraid of him or be nervous in his presence. And that has sort of come into our relationship where even though he knows that I do want him, he still always wants to make sure that I really want him in this moment before he makes a move. And I think that, you know, none of this is to say that the Me Too movement is off track, because I don't think it is at all. But I do think that um, finding this balance where we allow ourselves to be open and not use that openness as a shield is really challenging for everyone involved. There's no question that we needed to really bring things, the level of sexual misconduct, sexual abuse, just bad behavior into the light. But the next step really is like, how are we as men and women and, you know, men and women, if we're in relationship together, sexual relationship together, what the heck does that look like? One of the things that I hear a lot from women is like, you know, my man has no idea like how to like take me and how to be assertive. And I -hmm. want him to fuck me and take me. And I am like, Hey, I, I get that, but like bless men right now, they're kind of living in terror. And there's things in my relationship where mm. I'll say to my husband, like, I'm willing to do this, but I can't do that because it triggers me. It tri- triggers my, you know, my own story of abuse. And I, I, I'm okay with this, but I'm not okay with that. And I want you to be, you know, an assertive man who wants me, but I'm not interested in this, this, and this. And it, there's no question, you know, it takes major courage to have those conversations. Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my particular situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There is no single answer that's right for everyone, so I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating and exhausting. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM, exploring consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring your sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling intimate life, 
and together we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. How did you feel about your body and how did that play into your sexual experiences? Um, I was the smart one and my sister was the pretty one. Uh So growing up, you know, I got this message of you're wanted because you're attractive, but you're not actually the attractive one, Shasta. Like that's how my little brain interpreted that, you know? Yeah. So I always had a story in my head of I'm the smart one and she's a pretty one. And so as a young woman, you know, and as a child, I, I was attractive. I mean, I, there's, <laughs> there's no question that I'm not saying that egotistically. I was a beautiful girl. I, I'm a beautiful woman. I feel very sexually um, alive. But there was, I kind of had this, this like, I'm a nerd like men will think that I'm kind of a nerd. So even though I wasn't, so I had this sort of like nerdy story going inside. And yet at the same time, um, I would have the story of, you know, kind of like the femme fatale. So I don't think that it's, I dressed overly provocatively, but I had, uh, I developed very young. I had larger breasts as a younger woman. Um, I, ex- uh, you know, accented those the best that I can. Um, I have a very hourglass shape, so I would accent that the best that I can. And, you know, kind of like in my mind, I was like, you know, you got to use the assets that you have because you're not the pretty one, you know, you're the smart one. So make sure that you um, accentuate what's working for you. Mm. I was never really thin. I was never overweight, but I was always a curvier girl. So I always remember also having a story in my head, like, you know, I'm, I'm not the skinniest girl in the room. So I need to be, uh, what's the way to use this? It's like, it's like I needed to ensure that my curvaceousness was um, an asset rather than, rather than seeing it as something shameful, though I did see it yeah. as something shameful. And I don't remember being like particularly freaked out by my body early um, on, but I remember thinking, you know, men want you to be pretty and you're not the pretty one. So you got to use what, you know, you got to use what God gave you kind of thing. Let's move forward to when you met your husband and got involved with him. What was your relationship with your body at that point? I had gained some weight at that point in my life. I was probably around the heaviest that I've ever been. I'm, I'm actually probably about two sizes smaller now in my 40s than I was in my late 20s. So it was interesting because I saw myself as kind of not overweight, but a like heavier person. And I remember my husband, we'd been friends for a while before we became, um, you know, lovers or involved intimately. And he just, he was enamored with my body. Like he just was like, I think you're the sexiest woman on the planet. And I was like, Oh God, I've gained weight. Like, and I didn't feel that way about myself. So that's interesting because I think there's time. And I know this is not a, like, you know, going to be a feminist approved statement, but there was something about him reflecting that at me that actually gave me a level of sexual self-esteem because this wasn't a man that was looking for a skinny woman. Um, he was, he liked that I had hips. He liked that I had breasts and I didn't feel so 
ashamed of that because I had gained weight. I had gone through a little bit of a health crisis and it had caused me to gain some weight. And it's an interesting thing because I actually feel like, you know, now 20, almost 20 years later, not quite, I'm a little bit smaller than I was back then, but the shape of my body hasn't changed. But I feel like that man is crazy for my body. Like he's crazy for the curves that I have. And there's something I think very um, sexy about that in our own sexual self-esteem. I don't take my self-esteem from him, but I think that it's wonderful to be with a lover that's like enamored with your body that like, whether I was a size 16 or I'm a size eight, like I am now, he loves me just the same. He's sexually attracted to me just the same. We do get this message that we're supposed to find our self-esteem within ourselves and not need a man to give it to us. And the spiritual religious traditions will say, you have to find it in yourself. You have to love yourself first, all of that. Uh, all of which is lovely. <laughs> and I think it is really important to find our own inner well of that. However, I will stand up on my soapbox for a moment and say that I also think that for some of us, it is incredibly important to find people like you're saying with your husband. For me, my father, the messages that I got from my father were that I was fat and ugly. I was not properly mirrored by the person who was supposed to give me messages about my value and worth in the world. So there was no way for me to develop that on my own, because I had absolutely no foundation for it. The loudest voice in my head was the voice telling me that I was fat and ugly. That was the only marker that I had. If anybody told me something different, I thought that either they were lying or they were crazy, and they couldn't see what was right in front of them. It wasn't until I started being mirrored by people whose opinions I actually valued, telling me, you are beautiful, you are attractive, I want to touch your body, I love your ass, you know, you have great breasts, like all of that, um, that I started to be able to believe it, and then start building on those stories for myself. It actually required some external voices in order to begin to build that. So for anybody who is hearing this and feeling like I have to do it all on my own, that may not actually be the only way forward or the right way forward for you. Very well said, Leah. So I will step. No, off I love it. Now. I love your. It's so it's so true <laughs> in the way you talked about you know the voice of childhood uh, being really the inaccurate but loudest voice in our head, and then finding, as you said, you know, a, a sacred mirror, someone who you love and trust. It's powerful. It's it's. I love it. I love your clarity. Let's talk about your sexual relationship with your husband, because you have mentioned that it is spectacular. How did it begin? Did it begin good and get better? Or did it begin less good and require work to get mm. to where it is? Well, it began with like a slow burning fire because... Um, I was friends with my husband, Ian, for about five years. And in fact, I was dating his cousin. And yet, literally, Ooh. I know, had there's some drama. Um, the, I remember distinctly the day meeting Ian, and it was like a thunderbolt went off inside me. And I didn't have the 
I didn't have the skills, nor did I have the self-confidence at the time to dissolve the relationship that I was in because the relationship that I was in with his cousin was in its very early stages. It could have completely dissolved without a lot of drama and heartache. And I allowed the relationship to continue. So Ian and I became friends. We were the kind of people that at a party, we would sit and talk about everything. We never had crossed the line sexually, though there's no question that we were very emotionally involved with each other. So, I mean, imagine five years of being in a relationship with somebody who's your quote unquote friend and you're not having any type of physical or sexual contact with this person, but every part of your body and every cell within you is like, I really want to. So when, when I finally woke up and dissolved the relationship with his cousin, which I had let go on, gone on, go on way, way too long. And Ian and I stepped into a relationship together. You know, it, it, there's no question it was fireworks because it was five years of friendship, which now had transitioned into a physical relationship. And the interesting thing was, is that I think in some ways, because I felt so sexually attracted to him and I was very emotionally attracted to him, I actually think that I almost became complacent. Sex with him was sensational in my mind, but it had become routine. And so, you know, in the last year or so, when Ian said to me, you know, we need to like, I'd like us to, you know, try new things or go to new edges together and try. And it was really like, what? I mean, honestly, Leah, I felt like, what are you talking about? Like, I would walk on water for you. Like, I feel such deep desire and, and um, satisfaction with you. But it really was that things had kind of become stayed and routine in many ways. It wasn't like introducing another person or it wasn't about like, um, you know, crossing the line into the BDSM community, which is great. Just it wasn't what I wanted to do. It was really like looking at what are the things that I have shame about, you know, that I'm holding myself back in in our relationship, like masturbation, like talking about what I wanted, like role playing, like trying even just different sexual positions. And that is so interesting because there's the physical component of that, that yes, our physical sex life changed, but there's also the emotional, you know, kind of like spiritual connection of like, okay, well, I've actually masturbated in front of this man. Um, I mean, in my mind, it was like, you can't get more vulnerable than that. So there's now, I think, a level of trust Mm -hmm. and openness and fire that I never expected. Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex? I get it. Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. 
send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing. There is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. Before we finish up, let's get the lowdown. The questions we're dying to know, but would usually be too polite to ask any good girl. What kind of touch do you enjoy most? Hmm. I think I like, I like a firm touch. I like a lover who's like pretty clear on clear and confident in their touch. And it is, it is lovely to be with somebody who you can feel their desire transmitted in the way that they touch you. Are there sexual things you've tried that you don't ever want to do again? Gosh, that's a good question. With one of my first boyfriends that I ever had, we were experimenting with food. <laughs> uh-huh. I was, I remember that we were, we were experimenting with ice cream and I'm telling you when that shit melts, it gets right into the mattress and goes everywhere. <laughs> I remember trying to explain like why the mattress had like strawberry and chocolate ice cream stains to, you know, my friend that I was living with. Cause I, we were actually in her bed too. That was a bad, no, no. no. Um, so that was definitely like, I'm not a big fan of like food in the bedroom. I think because I still hold that like, Oh shit, we made a mess of her room and she was not impressed with me. So oh, I probably wouldn't that do that is again. Hilarious. <laughs> Do you have hair down there or are you bare? I have some hair. Do you landscape it? When you say some hair, what does that mean? My husband landscapes it. My husband landscapes the landing strip. That's kind of super sexy when your partner is the one with the razor. (laughs) Definitely. Very erotic. Have you ever had a threesome or more? I have in college. Not a super fun experience, but I'm glad that I did it. If you were to do it again, um, 
what would the configuration, what would you want the configuration to be? Male, male, female, or female, female, male? Well, I'm yes to all of it, but I'm pretty sure that my husband is like no way to any more cocks in the bedroom. So (laughs) if it was going to happen, it would be female, female, male. Have you ever had public sex? Have I ever had public sex? Yes, I have. I have had sex. Oh, gosh. I had sex in a swimming pool with definitely people around. And could they tell what was going on, do you think? Uh, There was kind of a party going on, so I'm not sure if people would have noticed at the time, but probably there, you know, if you were paying any attention, yes, you would know definitely what was happening. And was it exciting because there were other people around? It was exciting. I remember thinking that. I remember thinking, we shouldn't be doing this, and I don't care. I'm so doing this. How old were you? Oh, gosh. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. It wasn't that long ago. So it was with my (laughs) husband, maybe like like six or seven years ago. Not that long ago. I love that. That's fun. Well, thank you so much for being here. This conversation has been such a joy to have with you. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been a, it's definitely been a a pleasure for me. And uh, I'm so grateful for your space and your courage and everything that you're doing. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash good girls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex-positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. 
Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>